welcome to the River District Podcast. I'm your host, Vivica Gravel, Community Development Coordinator with the City of Owen Sound and the River District, and I'm here with my friend Richard Thomas, local historian and video guy. Hey. How you doing? Doing okay. How about yourself? Not too bad. Thanks for coming. It's my pleasure. Um, mostly, you know, I'm really glad to have you here because uh, this guy here across the table from me knows just about everything there is to know about River District and Owen Sound history. Well, that's the thing about history. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> so we'll learn a little bit of that in the next uh, the next segment. Um, I know that I have a particular love for Owen Sound history and uh, the debauchery and, um, you know, all the really interesting stuff that has happened here and built the city uh, into what it is now and what it used to be and what it can be in the future. And I just wanted to sit down and have a little chat with you today about all things Owen Sound, all things River District. So again, thank you for coming, Richard. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So Richard, actually, we'll get started with um, you brought in a really beautiful antique looking book that I think you've now taped together with, is that scotch tape? Yeah, I had a little uh, cover malfunction. <laughs> so I have uh, sort of done a repair to keep the cover on it. This is the... Uh, 1920 directory of the Ontario Historical Society, and there was a beautiful description of the River District in here that I thought we could use to kick off our conversation. That uh, sounds great. Because Owen Sound, everything really started here in the River District. Uh, the very first meeting of the men who started this town and lay out, laid out the town took place at the current site of City Hall, when there was just a small clearing and a horn in the clearing, and one arrived and blew the horn, and the other came out from the woods. They shook hands, and Owen Sound started. That's so it. It's a really neat story. So this is from uh, this is from an 1851 recollection by a man named Robert Crichton, who came here from uh, Peel area, Aaron, Ferguson, Arthur area. And here's what he said about the downtown. The village in those days was mostly along 2nd and 3rd Avenue East and 10th Street, much of the place was a dense thicket or swamp of cedars which originally occupied the whole site of the present city. The late Ezra Brown, when he was building the tannery where the Bank of Hamilton is now, went up to Government House on the present Market Square to get men to help him. In coming back through the bush, some of the men got lost where our present main street is, and it took them some time to get out. That happened in the early 40s. All the district around both railway stations was a vast marsh with willows and black snakes. At the mouth of the river was a sandbar that kept shifting, over which only vessels of very shallow draft at all could sail. So Owen Sound was really the wild frontier back in the 1840s and 1850s, and the entire village consisted of 2nd Avenue East from 8th Street to 10th Street, 3rd Avenue East from 8th Street to 10th Street, and... Uh, 8th Street had been sort of uh, slashed out of the woods up to the base of the hill, but there, were, there was nothing up there except piles of lumber that had been left behind from the slashing out of the streets. Uh, so it was really, uh, it's sort of a different picture of Owen Sound than what we see uh, these days. And uh, it was quite an interesting place. But that's it. The River District is the original Owen Sound. Oh, yeah. Owen Sound began with the River District. Absolutely. And then grew outwards from there. Yeah. So I just love bringing that to the community. Um, 
you know, as big box stores arrive. And yes, they're absolutely wonderful for for convenience and all of those kinds of things. But um, what some people don't understand is bringing in local entrepreneurs to open businesses um, within the River District is really redeveloping what once was. Um, All businesses used to be locally owned local entrepreneurs. Um, it wasn't until, you know, recent history that chains began to be a thing. Um, so yeah, it, it's just redeveloping what Owen Sound once was and bringing back that feeling of community and, um, you know, small town charm with big town conveniences, I guess. Sure. And with the exception of the factory district, yes. all commerce in Owen Sound took place in the River District. Mm-hmm. This was the center. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And I know um, some of the history of, uh, I think it was still Bayshore Broadcasting at the time, but they used to have Friday night concerts under where I think Pizza Pizza is now. Yes, they used to actually be in that block of buildings over right. there. And, uh, and I'm I, I, certainly not old enough to remember that. <laughs> uh, and, but I have heard stories about that as well. And I mean, it, things were a lot different. I mean, you know, in, in this age of internet and, uh, and everyone being connected online and spending so much time online in, in the golden days of Owen Sound, I mean, you did everything in person. That's, That's how right. you connected with people was by going out and seeing them and participating in events. And mm-hmm. there were events all the time. You know, there used to be uh, the Riverside Arena over on First Avenue West. Oh, my goodness. Uh, around where Shoppers Drug Mart is now. Um, there's also the Boyd Street rink uh, in what was formerly known as Ryerson Park. And uh, oh, wow. these, these, these were events on Friday and Saturday nights and most nights of the week. People would be out skating in the wintertime. Live bands would play to the skaters while they skated around and around. And it was the social life of the community. So it was a much different place uh, in some ways than it is now. But, you know, one of the greatest things about Owen Sound today is that the River District remains vibrant and energetic and is still the center of commerce in Owen Sound all the years, years later. And a lot of communities can't say that. That's right. And you yourself have have been a resident of the River District or just its outlying area for how many years now? 32 years wow. here, another four or five years in various different areas of the city, outside of the city. Um, and uh, I love the downtown. I, you know, I spend all my time here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's convenient. It's literally out your front door. Well, that's right. Now that we're at the farmer's market managing that, we live right in the center yes. of the River District. And so I see a lot. <laughs> as I'm sure you can imagine. Well, and, and you get the benefit of listening to music at the market whenever it's taking place, um, right? You just get to open your windows. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Not just that. I mean, running the market on Saturday mornings, I get to see all of my favorite people. Yeah. And you've watched kids grow up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You really do see and you get to know uh, what time people come to market on Saturday morning. So if they don't show up at exactly the right time, I can, you know, harass them a little bit or tease them when they come in about sleeping in. And yeah, it's uh, it's a great deal. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. What are what are a couple of key fun facts? We'll get into the the rum running and all of those, you know, sure. more scandalous historical facts which are I think my favorite. But um tell me a couple of key 
things that you think are particularly interesting about the River District and what makes it so unique? Well, the City Hall has always been on the corner that it's on, yes, uh, and, which is fitting as it was the place the entire town originated and later city. Um, but the very first city hall that they built, uh, they actually ran out of money before the building was completed. Oh, no. So as it was being built, uh, the town council met in uh, Colson House, which was across the street, uh, and uh, the Colson House Hotel. And uh, <laughs> they got to the point where the building was up, but they couldn't afford to put a roof on it. So uh, Colson himself actually put up the $8,000 to complete the town hall. And you can't help but wonder if he was just getting a little tired of having the, uh, the, the town council taking up his public room uh, one <laughs> night a week to have their meetings. You know, for him, it was maybe a good investment in uh, making more money down the road. So, I mean, that was, uh, that was one really interesting story. I mean, there are so many... Great stories about the downtown. Uh, in the early days, Ninth uh, Street didn't actually have an automobile bridge. It was a footbridge oh, okay. across uh, at Ninth Street. And in the very earliest years, before there were any bridges, there was a great big log jam in the river right at, right at about where Eighth Street Bridge is now. And that's how you crossed from one side to the other. That's why a lot of the early development at Owen Sound took place on the east side of the river because uh, there was just no easy way to get over to the west side. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And it was all all bush and all swamp. And uh, I have a friend who actually ran the, uh, the Owen Sound uh, DIA way back in the 1980s, who okay. contended that all of downtown Owen Sound was sinking at a rate of a millimeter per year. Oh, no. <laughs> because it's built on swamp. The sure. entire river district is built on a swamp. Sure. And uh, I, I must point out, we are not the only people in the world who have built on top of swamps. Oh, no, not Some at all. very prominent amusement parks are all on swamp land. Oh, yeah. Well, and of course, there's a great old Monty Python uh, sketch in uh, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail talking about building castles on swamps. Yes. I, I won't go there. But well, it I, fills I, your moat. I, I always think about that when I think about, uh, when I think about downtown Owen Sound. Uh, a lot of the buildings that are here are original, and I always encourage people when they walk through the River District... Uh, Sure, look at the main floor occupations mm -hmm. because well, we want our businesses to thrive, but look up to the second story and you can still see old Owen Sound. Absolutely. Above the second story in most of the buildings downtown. And that's what gives the River District its, uh, its charm, mm -hmm. it's what gives it its appeal to people. Absolutely. Um, what else? Well, when the, when, the, <laughs> when the new post office, which is now the old post office, was built. Oh, that was the new post office at one point. That was the new post office at one point. When it was Try built, to keep up. Uh, we love our post office. When it was built, uh, and, and you know, history always repeats itself, but when it was built, of course, there were all sorts of rumors around town about who was lining their pockets as they were building this <laughs> post office. And were those materials a little bit too good for the building? Did we really need to have a highfalutin structure like that? in downtown Owen Sound. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, I always find it interesting when I read uh, some of these historical things and realize that a lot hasn't changed at all. <laughs> no, uh, I think that's a, an interesting point to, to focus on is that, you know, um, things may change, things may come and go, but but really it's uh, perception and, and things like that. And as you and I were, were talking is, you know, like people just need to come down and have a look and look up 
and look around them and see the history and the charm that exists here. Um, and it'll be part of their heart. hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what, what do you see tourists doing when they come to downtown Owen Sound of the River District? They're looking up. Yeah. And look. they're looking at those buildings because they are so attractive. Well, and that highfalutin post office <laughs> is still standing. So I think it they sure picked is. some pretty good materials. Oh, yes, of course. Well, I mean, <laughs> any, any, any project, any government project always brings commentary like that even oh, today. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's not so surprising. But um, the River District really took off. Off, I guess in uh, in the mid 1880s when the CPR chose Owen Sound as its terminus uh, for uh, its Great Lakes f- fleet. Mm-hmm. So basically, they built a railway up to Owen Sound, and the fleet was here. So the entire western migration of Canada and the northern U.S. came through Owen Sound. Right. At one point, I read an estimate that there were between 100 and 200 thousand passengers per year. <laughs> passed through Owen Sound. I mean, there were 24,000 crew mm-hmm. for these ships that were here annually. So you get an idea how the River District became maybe a little bit uh, wilder as uh, the years went on. Uh, a lot of sailors in town looking yep. for something to do uh, when they when their ships were here. And uh, But the River District, I mean, that, that arrival of the CPR really is what... Uh, spawned so much growth and a lot of the uh, a lot of the brick buildings that we see now were built during that time mm-hmm. replacing earlier frame buildings I mean if you see really really early shots of the river district the buildings were all made of wood sure of I mean there was lots of wood around yeah. here right it we had endless supplies of, of wood at that time yep, we sure did so yeah. uh, it was really when the CPR came that things took off and the river district really started to grow. Yeah. Um, And I mean, it's not so far in our past where those tracks still laid. Well, we have now we've got a wonderful bike, uh, mountain biking or running trail uh, all around the city uh, that we can take advantage of. And in fact, I, you know, I remember when they took the tracks out. In fact, the only stretch of tracks in all of Great Bruce, as far as I know, now I could be corrected on this, is just that small stretch in front of the uh, Community Waterfront Heritage Center. Yes. And the Visitor Center down on the uh, Inner Harbor. That's right. Um, Let's talk about the Inner Harbor a little bit, um, as that would have been one of the industries areas that was developed um, early on. Um, I mean, there was a lot of logging in the initial days of the city because of the river, because of the amount of trees and because the area just needed to be cleared. Yep. Um, so logging took place. And then as you went down the river towards, you know, your Kelso beaches and, and down on the more industrial side now on the east side, um, just the amount of industry that popped up. Can you talk a little bit to what Owen Sound has produced? I mean, we all know the Noma Lights Mm -hmm. existed in Owen Sound. Um, I actually know a person whose grandfather designed the original Noma Lights. Really? Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, these are all things that you can learn at the um, Heritage Museum at the Visitor Center. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe we also had RCA and then, uh, uh, I, I'm going to let you speak about some of these because sure. I think that they're integral to see how Owen sound was once and is becoming again, a, a, an integral part of the business community from a large scale. 
standpoint. Sure. Well, and it's a little bit different what, what we're getting now, but in the early days, uh, Owen Sound was a place where things were made. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to step back a little bit, so initially the Inner Harbor had a great big sandbar, as I read as I read about oh. across it. So there was a wharf at a, the approximate location of the Bayshore Community Center. It was called Boyd's Wharf, and it was built out into the bay. And that's where the ships would actually come when they came to Owen Sound. Interesting. And then everything would have to be trucked up to the River District from Boyd's Wharf. Right. And, of course, that was country out there. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I read a great article, uh, this man with the tannery, when he finally got it built, he came and he complained to the town council. And the town tannery, by the way, was between 10th and 11th Street Hmm. uh, on the east side, but he came to complain because he had been placed so far out of town that nobody (laughs) would ever find him. There was only a, only a footpath through the woods right. to get to that, uh, Had to to get bushwhack. To that building. So, uh, you know, it really put some perspective on it. So when Owen Sound Council had decided they were going to try to get the CPR to come here, and they decided the best way to do that was to dredge the harbor. Mm. So they secretly bought two dredges that they found in Collingwood and brought them over here and, and sort of under... A, Great cover of secrecy. They dredged, <laughs> Under the cover of night. They dredged that sandbar out of the inner harbor and dredged the inner harbor to a depth that the CP ships could actually come in and, okay. and moor there. So um, once that happened, that really sort of opened the door. And, uh, you know, the other place you can learn, by the way, is my books. Uh, oh, yes. We'll make stuff, mention you know. of those. Don't um, you worry. But, you know, I've seen pictures of that inner harbor where you could have, in the wintertime, walked across it without ever touching water or ice because there were so many ships in there over the winter. Wow. And they would come here and they would all uh, they would all be repaired and upgraded and fixed during the winter time. So there was a whole inner harbor industry of mechanics and millwrights and shipbuilders that would work on these vessels during the winter time. Hmm. Um, then you go a little further outside of the inner harbor and that's where you start to get into uh, some of the industries that were out there. Uh, the Empire Stove Works, for example, uh, the uh, North American Bent Chair Company, the National Table Company. National uh, Table Company. National Table Company. Uh, they did not reach know, for that name. There was the Northern <laughs> Screw Nut Bolt and Wire Company, I think it was called. I wonder I, what I, I they need made. To actually, I need to actually. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, and I'm going to dispel a current contemporary saying right now, because many people, when I say Malibu Hill, will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that hill out at the uh, curve on East Bayshore Road when you okay. go up to the right. and But it's not Malibu Hill. It's Malleable Hill because the Owen Sound Malleable Ironworks Company used to have their factory right on that corner. So it was always referred to as Malleable Hill. But in recent years, it's gotten down to Malibu Hill. Okay. And everyone thinks, what's that California vibe all about? (laughs) And it's actually Malleable Hill. Interesting. uh, Yeah, there were were so many different uh, companies out there. And of course... As time went on with the CPR, we ended up with the, um, well, Russell Brothers, but prior prior to Russell Brothers, the Polson shipyards were out there. Mm-hmm. How that happened was uh, one of the CPR vessels was destroyed in a, in a storm up on Lake Superior. I think it was the, 
Alberta, Algoma, I think it was the Athabasca. I could be wrong on that though. Um, so one of them was destroyed, so the CPR decided to build a new vessel. They awarded the contract to the Polson Iron Works of Toronto, but the downside was they, they actually had no, no shipyard anywhere on the Great Lakes. Oh dear. So they came to Owen Sound, and Owen Sound actually gave them the property hmm. on the on the outer harbor, uh, at the same place Russell Brothers took it over later, but okay. they gave them that property, built them a plant, gave them a great tax credit, and hundreds of workers emigrated from Scotland, master shipbuilders, to build the Manitoba. And the Manitoba was the first steel steamship ever built on the Great Lakes, and it was built right here in Owen Sound. Well, aren't we fancy? And down in the Inner Harbor, of course, there's the what we call the, the ghost ship or the lit ship. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. The... That is meant to commemorate the Manitoba and uh, the construction of the Manitoba. And I know that a, an interpretive plaque will be going up there sometime in the not-too-distant future that will tell the story of the Manitoba. That's uh, incredible. Is, it, it, it's a great story. You yeah. Know? But, uh, it, it is, uh, Owen Sound has so many firsts, so many things happened here. And, and I only got interested in local history because everybody, when I moved here in 1983, insisted nothing had ever happened here. Nothing was ever going to happen here. Uh, and I thought, well, that, that can't be exactly right. No, uh, everybody's got a story. And there's always big stories as to why groups of people emigrated here. Oh, absolutely. And the, the more you read about it, uh, the more you realize this community has an unbelievable history. Absolutely. Fascinating history. It really, it truly is. And it's it's heartwarming and it's hilarious and it's big and it's serious and it's a lot of Canadian history has gone down in this area in terms of development, in terms of shipping, in terms of bringing people to Toronto. Like, I don't know, I'm going to go ahead and say we were one of the first commuter towns. We were also one of the first truly multicultural communities. Yes. Because of that migration, so many people remained behind in our community mm -hmm. that we were really, really multicultural in our early days, uh, which a lot of people just don't believe. But right. uh, another uh, writer, Melba Croft, who preceded me as an Owen Sound historian, uh, constantly posted the census figures, which in the early days broke it down according to uh, country of origin. Okay. And so there are census figures saying where everybody came from all over the world. And it's really, really interesting stuff to read. Oh, I would love to get my hands on that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... So, so, I mean, Owen Sound just had so much going for it and still does, of course, but in a different way now. I of mean, course. We're, we're, as all communities do, we reinvent ourselves constantly. But uh, it, in those early days, it was the busiest port in Canada. Right. Bar none. Chicago of the it, North. It was. Well, everybody, everybody <laughs> I've discovered was the Chicago of the North. Oh, really? Colin, everybody has that Colin moniker? Wood, okay. Yep. Collingwood okay. was the Chicago of the North. Everybody was the Chicago Interesting. Of the we North. should have some sort of competition that, like, identifies 
who, in fact, is the Chicago of the North. Well, and I think at the end of the day, do we need to compare ourselves we don't. to anybody? I don't think we do. Because I'm just a little competitive. Is so unique. <laughs> you know, they used to do cool things. One of the one of the very first uh, fictional stories I wrote about my detective D.B. Murphy was a short story, and it was based around Detroit Day in Old okay. Sound. And in those days, Owen Sound's uh, Chamber of Commerce, or Board of Trade, as it was called then, okay. would actually charter a vessel in Detroit, and 500 Detroit businessmen would get on board. They would sail to Owen Sound for the day. And when when the ship came into Owen Sound, and I've seen pictures of it, just droves of people, but when the ship came in, everyone in Owen Sound who owns a car would have left it at the dock oh. with the keys in it, and all these Detroit businessmen had to do was come and start the car up and take a drive around town and have a tour. Well, and that was a different time. That was definitely a different time. <laughs> but the idea, of course, was to was to promote goodwill and to try to get money, try sure. to get investors, try to bring businesses. And it was quite successful in many cases. I think the malleable ironworks that I referred to earlier came through one of those Detroit, Detroit Day promotions. Well, and it's funny um, discussing people traveling to and from Owen Sound and the different means of travel. I think one of my favorite stories is when I met with Bernie Fishman, uh, prior owner, owner of Shoppers Clothing yep. Company. His father owned it before him. And he remembers, Bernie remembers as a child getting on the train with his father, who was a, a prominent businessman, and they would travel to Toronto for the day. And it was quite the to-do. Um, and he just remembers it so fondly as a child as being this incredible, big experience. And this is before Go Train, of course, and all those kinds of things. And, and of course, the train was uh, usually pretty luxurious. Um, or not at all. You had one or two options at that point. Well, considering prior to the train's arrival, uh, your only other choice was stagecoach. Right. Which would take days. <laughs> yes. You know, staying in hotels all over the place on your way to wherever you were going. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear and, and to speak about um, people's experience with travel into Owen Sound. And I'm going to have to review a map because Gosh, help me, my geography is not great. But I'm going to have to map out how those guys got here from Detroit. Up and around. Up and around. Up oh, and yeah, around. Of yeah, no, but that would have right. been quite the trip back then. Oh, it would be a big trip. Yeah. Absolutely. And, Jeez. Uh, and uh, again, I mean, just, you know, sort of a an era gone by. Can you imagine trying to organize something like that today? With with Well, back then, no internet, no anything. So you know, secretaries or now administrative assistants and things like that are on the phone and organizing and... Yeah, but everybody knew where Owen Sound was. It yeah. was one of those places, you know, in 1927, during the federal election that year, uh, Mackenzie King and Arthur Meehan both were in Owen Sound the same day, just five days before the federal election. Huh. So Owen Sound was an important place. And uh, I know that uh, Arthur Meehan spoke down at Harrison Park to 7,000 people. Wow. And Mackenzie King spoke at the Granite Club, uh, the Great Granite Club, uh, or the Curling Club, they called it then. Yes. And he spoke, and the overflow crowd was next door in the theater. So he spoke at the Curling Club for three hours, and then he went next door to the theater and spoke for another three hours to the crowd there. And I mean, uh, 
just an amazing, amazing time when uh, when Owen Sound, I mean, the trains and, and all the transportation were in large part responsible for that because right. people had to pass through Owen Sound in order to use the CPR, which was the biggest carrier at that time. Right. So before we wrap everything up, you know what I want to talk about. You know I want to talk about the corkscrew city booze <laughs> booze i want to talk about booze and i want to talk about parties and i want to talk about the underground of it all so there was a time not too long ago owen sound was a dry city oh it's the first thing everybody learns about i owen know sound, but you know that, what it's yeah. i love it i know it's and and again it's our story that's it is right. a unique story to this community and uh, i mean that's why i wrote my book saints and sinners because right. everybody knows but nobody talks about it, and it's never really been documented well either. So, you know, it's, uh, again, going back to the sailors and the ships and the 1870s. I don't know what you mean. Sailors don't like to drink. What are you talking about? 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, it, uh, it was a wide-open town. I mean, you had, uh, I think I saw at some point there was 72 saloons, speakeasies, bars, holes in the wall where you could get a drink in downtown Owen Sound. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, you know, I, I've read uh, accounts of... Uh, the bars having a sluice built right into the floor of the bar so that the vomit could be sluiced out of the bar in the morning. Uh, <laughs> these places were open. I know, it's gross. Yeah. But these places were open 24-7. And let's keep in mind that in, in the 1880s, 1890s, a light beer was 6% alcohol. Regular beer was 9% or 10%. Jeez. So we're talking about hardcore drinking. Yeah. When we talk about drinking beer. Um, so in 1874 was when Mary Doyle, a local resident, really got tired of it all. She could see the impact that alcohol was having on families. And she formed uh, an organization that later became the first chapter in Canada of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. And they advocated, along with support from the local clergy, for total abstinence from alcohol. And uh, then there were those who said, well, maybe a little is okay. And, you know, so they waffled a little <laughs> bit. And they worked for 30 years to try to get the liquor laws in the province of Ontario changed so that they could uh, have an impact. And it took till 1905. In 1905, the provincial government changed the Liquor License Act to allow for what was known as the local option. That meant that local communities could put it to a vote to determine whether alcohol would be sold or not. And I'll tell you what, Owen Sound put it to a vote. At that time, municipal elections were held every year. Right. And they were always held right on New Year's Day or very close to it. So they put it to a vote in January of 1906, and the dry forces overwhelmingly carried the day and it was announced that Owen Sound would go dry on May 1st, 1906. Well, that's not fair because all the wets were out partying the night before and didn't make it to the voting. I'll tell you, <laughs> it, it, was, it was actually that lack of organization on yeah. the part of the wets that allowed the dries to carry it for so long. So May 1st, 1906, Owen Sound went dry. It was referred to very quickly as the wettest dry town around. <laughs> Because it was very easy for people to just continue doing what they were doing, but undercover instead. Uh, in 1908, uh, Mayor Elias Lemon 
decried the whole situation in a council meeting where he claimed that a river of booze was running down Main Street and he wanted to know where it was coming from. So they brought a couple of detectives up from Toronto who spent three days in Owen Sound and uh, in three days they laid dozens and dozens of alcohol charges. Uh, and in those days, court was a much quicker thing than it is now because you would be in that week. And so, but the problem was the detectives had to be there to give evidence. And on the day of the court hearings, no detectives. So they adjourned the court hearing and other detectives were dispatched to try to find the first two detectives who had disappeared. Oh, they were later found way down in eastern Ontario. And when they were brought back and the hearing resumed, they were questioned and they were told that they were informed in no, un no uncertain terms that if they remained in Owen Sound, they would remain here forever. And they had the choice to take $500 cash and catch a 1 a.m. freight train to Collingwood, and that's what they did. So it was quite a quite a story. Uh, it wasn't always that way, you know, in sound, though. I mean, pretty soon everybody settled down to the way things were. You know, publicly we said we were dry, and uh, in the back rooms of every bar and saloon there was... Uh, there was drinking going on. Of course. It was also easy to get uh, alcohol. Well, maybe not easy, but there were ways to get alcohol uh, legally if you were uncomfortable with bootleggers. Uh, one of them was to get your doctor to write you a prescription, and you could uh, actually get a pint of alcohol per week for your, you know, your heart palpitations. Of course, yes. Your, your vapors or mm -hmm, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever you might be uh, experiencing. Put a little whiskey on the baby's gums, of That's course. That's right. That's exactly it. You could also get it by mail order from provinces that weren't dry. So funny. So it was easy for quite a while to get stuff. First World War came along, the entire province went dry, which made it easier for everybody in some ways. Did it? I didn't know that. It did as a war measure. Oh, okay. Um, and then very quickly after the First World War concluded, everything went back to the right. way it had been. Nuts with that. And in fact, many of the communities who had chosen local options started to go wet again after right. the First World War. Not uh, Owen Sound. And Collingwood actually was one of the last local communities to do it. And I think they went wet in 1938. Okay. So they held on for a while. But in Owen Sound, uh, the last vote was in, uh, I believe it was in 1913. And there wasn't another vote until 1949. Okay. So... 1949, at that point, uh, we'd had the Second World War, mm -hmm. and a lot, a lot of local residents, men and women, had gone to Europe for the Second World War and had really seen the way a lifestyle with alcohol could be. Glamorous. So, well, you know, but, but not, <laughs> not, not the way they'd always been told it was. Yes. So... Everyone came back, and right after the Second World War, the automobile became the thing, and road travel and vacations by road travel became the big, the big thing. And, and Owen Sounders felt they were missing out because people weren't coming here because they couldn't have a drink with their steak on the barbecue down at Harrison Park. So they uh, organized themselves. The wet organized, wets organized themselves a little bit more. And when I say that, you have to understand that the bootleggers always voted with the dries. Of course, because they can't be caught. It's not well. It was not good for business yeah. either. If they if phone sound went wet, they wouldn't be good for business. That's fair. So in 1949, the, they organized, the wets organized, and they brought in the economic development argument for the first time. 
Okay. It's bad for Owen Sound's economy to not to live like we're in a backwoods, like we're all backwards and we don't know how to live. And the Wets continued with their keeping the family and the home together, and and it continued to work for the for the Dries uh, until uh, it was actually the vote of 1961 that finally something changed, and the beer store and the liquor store were allowed to open in Owen Sound, but not restaurants or lounges or bars. Okay. Uh, that lasted till 1972. And in fact, in 1972, of course, uh, well, we'd had Woodstock. <laughs> and young people were feeling far more empowered about things. And so... Not everyone, just alcohol. <laughs> everyone in Owen Sound over the age of 18 got out to vote. And a lot of people realized that Alcohol was not the worst thing that their kids could be involved in. Sure. There was this evil marijuana stuff that yes. they were all getting into. Mm. So in 72, they uh, they finally voted to allow restaurants and lounges. Pardon me. And then, then one follow-up to that in 1987, when the Heritage Place Shopping Mall was going to open, it was discovered that the mall was wet, uh, dry that that piece of property had been annexed for Sydenham Township after 1972, oh. and it was still dry. So in... They initially had a restaurant there, did they well, not? Well, but the restaurant could not open its bar, nor could the Andres Wine Store open, Okay. until they obtained an order in council from the provincial cabinet allowing them to open. And then in 1988, in the municipal election... Everyone living up in that area of town had to vote on a plebiscite question. Will you allow the sale of alcohol in restaurants or lounges in this area? Oh, and, wow. of course, it passed It passed, and, and everything went forward. Sure. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's something that just rears its head every now and again and a lot more recently than a lot of people think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember when the Gray County Mall closed. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where we went to the movie theater and stuff right. like that. Sure. Um, and then the Heritage Place Mall opened. I was alive and I was <laughs> very excited for a food court and everything. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is reasonably recent history. Well, it is. To me, it's very recent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, oh, my gosh, I love this story so much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there, so there were a lot of pay, ways that people found to get around the law. I mean, in the early days, uh, people would brew their own hooch. So bathtub gin or vodka were quite common. And, and in fact, poisoning deaths were quite, <laughs> well, really, they were quite yeah, I bet they were. As a result of this alcohol that was being brewed in people's, you know, laundry tubs and things. Yeah. Um, the change came when they started allowing, everyone else started opening up. And so Southampton got a liquor store, Wyarton got a liquor store. And so people would just drive from Owen Sound up there. Sure. However, the bootleggers continued on because not everybody had cars in those days, not like now. Right. And uh, for a lot of people, the bootlegger was still the only way to get a drink. So uh, what would happen is the bootlegger would drive to one of those liquor stores, load up the trunk of their car, drive back to Owen Sound, and resell the stuff they'd bought at the government store. Oh, my goodness. And that was that was really, really common. There were a lot of people that did that at Owen Sound. Uh, although at least it was regulated at this point it was regulated and in fact uh, cars taxi company uh, in the 50s was able to get a special license so that you could phone the taxi office before two o'clock and 
put in your order and at two o'clock the taxi went over to the Southampton liquor store and would load up on the orders and bring them back and then you could either pick them up at the taxi office or they would deliver them to your house and in some cases they would put your case of beer into a plain cardboard box and deliver that. Classy. That's how sensitive people still were about their neighbors <laughs> knowing that they might have a beer or two. Oh my goodness. I love the history of Owen Sound so much and I think it's so interesting and Richard this is a really great segue into you um, telling us a little bit about your books. Just just let us know what the titles are and where we can find them. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's 20 of them now, so I won't go through all of the titles. You have 20 books. I have 20 now. I can't sit down to write one. Number 21 will be coming out in about three weeks, just oh. in time for Christmas. Um, and there I just dated our podcast. You story. really did, because this is going to probably come out in April. <laughs> but the book will still be available. There That's it is. The so, um, and it is called The Owen Sounders. Uh, okay. And we're working on the subtitle, but it'll be something like people you should really know about. Uh, you know, everybody knows about Tom Thompson, Billy Bishop, sure. Agnes McPhail, and Dr. Norman Bethune, but there are a lot of other Owen Sounders who went out there in the world and really made a difference. Absolutely. And so what I've done, over the years, I've come across all these people as I've been researching. I think, oh, I'll have to remember this person. Maybe someday I'll do something. So what I've done is a collection of essays about all of these different individuals, some of whom people will know, we're from Owen Sound, and we'll sure. know about them, but quite a few of them people won't know. They'll, they'll, they won't know that they were from Owen Sound or ever spent time here. So I'm very excited about that one coming up. Uh, but my books, you can break them into two categories, I guess. I've got the, uh, the fictional detective series featuring Detective D.B. Murphy. Um, started with a book called Gashead Willie and mm -hmm. then went through. There are eight books in that series. Uh, then I did uh, a group of photo books, so yes. historic Owen Sound photos, which are still among my favorite because I just love looking at the old pictures of Owen they're Sound. They're incredible. Because they're so amazing. Uh, I was doing some research last week for an art e exhibition that opened at Gray Gallery uh, for an artist, Raquel Yang, who's, mm -hmm. who's painted historic buildings in Owen Sound. And one that she painted was the feed mill. And I'd never... I, I'd never researched the feed mill or known much about it. So I started researching it, and I found the family that owned it, and I found some advertisements for it. And under the ad, there was never an address. It said, Sign of the Big Axe. Oh. And I had seen the Big Axe in an old picture of Owen Sound okay. on Main Street. When you look down Main Street in the River District, there was a gigantic eight-foot-high wooden axe hanging out over the sidewalk in front of a store. And I always used to think it was the most curious thing. And now I know what it is. Oh, my gosh. It's a sign for the feed milk company. Sign of the axe. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I love making little connections like that where, where bits of stuff come together and I go, oh, that's what that is. Oh, my goodness. So picture books and then I've, I've written a number of local histories. I wrote The Motorist Shortcut, which is the official history of the Owen Sound Transportation Company. Saints and Sinners, of course, which Absolutely. we've spoken about. And then uh, I've sort of been plugging away at a at a an easy history of Owen Sound. So it's not meant to be in-depth, but mo meant to give people the thumbnail sketch of Owen Sound. And there are... Um, Three books in that series, uh, 1840 to 1912, 1912 to 30, 29, and then 29 to 39, the years of the Great Depression, because okay. I've always been interested. And most of the historic writing about Owen Sound has sort of all been 
pre-1915, 1917. So I'm sort of starting to get into areas now that have not been well written about. And so I'm kind of excited about that. So the next book in that series will be the uh, Second World War years, of course. That's incredible. Yeah. So... Richard, we are just about all out of time here. Didn't we uh, just start? Right? <laughs> well, this is not new for you. No. Um, you can hear you do some um, spots on the radio or you have in the past. Um, you've been busy out doing, you know, writing some books. And, of course, you're always found at the market as well. And I know that you're always up to, to strike up a conversation about all things Owen Sound and River District. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming in. Um, I have learned a lot. I found it very, very enlightening, and I am definitely going to go out and get your new book that's coming out in a couple of weeks, Timestamp. It came out a couple months ago. But it will be available forever. <laughs> well, that's it. Get it for Christmas 2023. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and where can we buy your books? At the Ginger Press Bookstore right in the River District. That's right. We're all here. Awesome. So uh, that's, again, um, another book coming out or will have just come out. Uh, and check them all out at the Ginger Press on in the River District, Owen Sound. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you. It's been a blast. Bye.